Welcome back to another episode of the MicroConf Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Today, we talk with Jesse Meekum about building a thriving remote team culture, as well as just being in business, being a bootstrap founder for 18 years. He launched You Need a Budget back in 2004. And back in 2014, he gave one of the funniest MicroConf talks I've ever seen. It's his founder's story. If you haven't seen it, you really should see it. It's called From Zero to $4 Million a Year Without Quora, Hacker News, or Mixergy. And we'll include that link up in the show notes. It's on YouTube. You can search Jesse Meekum or just click through to the MicroConf YouTube channel. I would recommend watching that talk or at least listening back to the refresh episode where we have that talk because today's stuff we update. You know, I say, what's changed in your company since 2014? They went from, I think, 30 or 40 employees. They're now at 190. A lot changes there. And that's why I enjoy the conversation that Jesse and I have so much today. Before we dive into that, our next round of MicroConf local events are scheduled for the summer. MicroConf Local Chicago is June 21st, and MicroConf Local in Denver is June 23rd. Head over to microconf.com slash locals for more info and to get notified when tickets are on sale. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Jesse Meekum. And we are live. Welcome back to MicroConf On Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every other Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we live stream for about 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to maintain healthy relationships. Today, I'm going to be welcoming Jesse Meekum to the show. Jesse did a couple microconf talks back in 2014, 2015. And in fact, his 2014 talk was one of the highest rated talks uh, of all time. It was super entertaining and it was the story of building his startup that is now, I guess like, is it, is it still a startup? It's 18 years he's been doing it. He was just telling me offline uh, that he started in 2004. It's called You Need a Budget or YNAB for short. We're going to be covering um, some topics around, uh, you know, maybe some things he would have done differently knowing what he known, knew, know, uh, knowing what he knows now, as well as, uh, updates on his team structure, some other things related to his talk. And then we're also going to talk about building a thriving remote culture because YNAB is one of those companies that since 2004 has been a remote first company. And, you know, obviously a lot of companies have become remote first now that COVID has happened, but they have two years of experience doing this. And Jesse has, you know, approaching two decades of it. And he's thought a lot about it. So as I said, he's the founder of You Need a Budget, which is a leading budgeting software and education company. He's also the host of the You Need a Budget podcast, the beginning balance podcast for small business owners. And he's the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of the book, you guessed it, called You Need a Budget. So with that, I'd like to welcome Jesse to the show. How's it going, man? Hey Rob, it's good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Yeah, it's 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 been too long to be honest. We were saying Absolutely. offline, so I hope we were able to connect in person again soon. But I think to to kick us off, you know, I look I know a lot of folks watching will have uh, watched your 2014 microcom talk where you told the story of building YNAB and getting it off the ground, and it was an Excel spreadsheet at first, and it, it's really a good talk with a lot of jokes. Um, tie, really well weaved into it. And if folks haven't watched that, we'll link it up in the show notes and they can go check it out after this. But knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently when you launched YNAB? Oh man, that is you, everything. You would do every single thing differently. You know, um, I, I think I, I even mentioned it in the talk and it's worth stating probably here, but a lot of what you did got you to where you are. And so in a bit of a catch 22, you, you can't, you don't want to, uh, write it all off and just say, oh man, I can't believe I made all those mistakes because that's what 
that's what got you the knowledge, right? It wasn't, it wasn't reading. It was more doing, it was, it was more creating and less kind of consuming of, of the content. And so in that way, I wouldn't change a thing as my cop-out answer. Right. But if there was, if there was one focus that I got late in the game, I would say probably around the time of that talk, 2014 or something like that, it was a, a talk that I had listened to at another conference where a, the speaker, I don't even remember their name, just said, I'm going to talk about culture. And I thought, oh, I had my organizational behavior class when I was doing my master's degree. Like, that was the worst. I hate it. Not, I don't want the touchy-feely. I want profit and loss, revenue, heart, you know. And so I kind of wrote off the first part of the talk, but there was one line that the speaker had where he said, if you don't intentionally create the culture that you want in your company, you will end up working for a place, working at a place that, where you don't like it. And that mortified me. So if there was one thing I could go back and just say, hey, Jesse, a little bug in your ear, it would be be intentional and aware of of culture and what you want from the outset. And then and then from there, you just you just turn that flywheel, make it better and better. Great. And we're going to circle back on culture and remote culture um, here in a few minutes. So compared to when, you know, you gave your talk in 2014, which is what is that eight years ago? Yeah. What? What is your team structure like today compared to what it was then? So we were, I mean, back then, we, my guess is we were around 30, 25 to 30 employees. Um, today, I think we're around 190. Wow. So just that alone, just numbers, you have to start structuring things uh, differently. I'm no longer CEO. I mentioned to you offline. As of about a little over a year ago, I stepped back as CEO. Uh, I hired Todd Curtis 12 years ago and he worked in support worked in just kind of moved around strategically i was being i was kind of thinking like i want to have this guy get a lot of exposure so he's now ceo that's a big structural change for us um i'm focused more on chatting with people like you and, and evangelizing but um we were pretty traditional in the sense that we have functional units but then we're a little unconditional or untraditional in the sense that our product teams we we dice across functions and we, we make them cross-functional. So we don't have a feature team. We have a team that is obsessed over a specific problem that they're trying to solve for a customer. And these problems are broad enough where I could say, Rob, your problem is um, the first time learning experience for a YNAB user. And you would say, well, when is that problem solved? And I'd say, well, probably never, right? But you will obsess over that. So then if you were leading that as like a product manager, you would have a few engineers, a few full stack, a few mobile. You'd have um, one or two voices from support customer like that can tell you, hey, product manager, we hear this every day. Like they front lines in their bones knowledge that you want to have. And then you would have a marketing assist, you know, someone that can come in and say, well, how are we framing this? So that cross-functional team, we call them pace teams. And that's where we're a little unique. One other thing that might be interesting to some is our managers, our people managers, are in charge of a, a team member's growth and their bandwidth. So their growth, like how how are you doing in your career? Your bandwidth, like is everything okay on your plate? But they are not necessarily a technical expert. So we could have someone that's not a design expert, people managing a designer, and that's given us some flexibility to make sure only people that want to be managers manage, and it's allowed us a little more room and maneuver in that way, and it's allowed for us to have managers that still be still can be contributors. So there are a few points there in the structure, but long story short, when you add that many more people, 
you do have to make structural changes and you have to tell the team we get to make structural changes that last at least six months but we don't have to predict anything further than that just a six-month iteration and then you just revisit that org over and over again but yeah it's it's crazy it's what I, I can imagine. And it's good to be upfront about that, that, hey, we are going to revisit this every six months, 12 months, yeah. because I've seen companies, startups in particular, where you hit 15 people and say, well, we kind of need to restructure some things. And then you hit 30 or 50, and there's another point where you have to do it. And if if you're not upfront about, hey, this is going to change, then A, you get the wrong people on the bus who don't who mm. want things to stay, who worked at the city government for 20 years, yeah. and now they work for you, and suddenly they're like, wait, you know, I don't know, this isn't a good fit. And also, if you're not upfront about it, it can make it seem like the CEO doesn't know what they're doing. Like right? that whip song. Yeah, yeah, like, why are absolutely. you changing? It shouldn't change. And it's like, no, it probably should. Actually, every time we, yeah. you know, hit that next, whatever, it's another 20, 30 employees, um, something, something should change. And I'm also glad you called out the idea of, I talked about this on my podcast recently, but it was like being a manager uh, yeah. No, no, no. It was being a supervisor versus a technical lead. And they're two mm -hmm. different things, right? I think of, totally. to me, I'm defining supervisor as, uh, like you said, per, the, the personal growth, even like approving vacation time, annual Absolutely. reviews, salary, like that's a whole yeah. skill set. And then technical lead, whether it's a design technical lead or a, you know, coding technical lead or a product, whatever, these are separate skill sets. And sometimes yeah. you can find one person with both, but often you, you don't, right? Yeah. And, that's, and even that's, if they have both, maybe you just want them to do one more than the yeah. other, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see, my next question, how do you manage growth projections and goal setting these days mm. with a team of almost 200? So we have a, we have a one-pager that we use. Um, people have read things like Measure What Matters, you know, the OKR book, that's it's pretty good, or um, gosh, the one thing, any number of books that you're just kind of like, okay, you set a goal. It's pretty standard stuff. Um, but we use, we use a one pager that, that lists the mission of YNAM at the very top. And it's to establish the budget as the preeminent life and financial planning tool and make it a joy and easy to implement. You're like, wow, Jesse, that was a mouthful, but you know, that is it. That's the mission. And it's, it's long lasting. So you have the longest lasting thing. We would maybe change our mission in a decade. I don't know, but it's meant to be pretty permanent. Below that, we have our strategy, and our strategy is is essentially two components. We have our core values, which we can maybe dive into later, and then we have our system, right? Our and it, and it lays lays out what we're what we're bringing to the table. You could think of it like unique selling proposition, user journey, that kind of thing. Underneath that, we have targets, and we we purposely have a long term target, up to ten years, no shorter than five. That you mentioned, right seats, right bus. That long-term target helps you frame for people. Kind of, I don't know. They get to look further ahead, and you can probe their feelings and be like, "Hey, uh, you know, in ten years, would you be comfortable with this business being a two hundred million dollar business?" And you're now a twenty, right? And someone would, you could really learn a lot from what someone thinks about that. They might say, "Oh no, I worked at a place. I never, right?" Or they might say, "Absolutely, I thought we were going for five hundred, you know." And so you go really long term and it kind of frames everyone appropriately to where you're you're facing the general direction the same. It's great for bubbling up issues. It's, it's a fun discussion. Then you we always move to a three year at that point. That starts to get a little more brass tacks, but still bullet point-esque. And then from there, we'll move to a one year where we're saying, okay, one year, what are we going to hit? And from there, it's just standard stuff. We're gonna, we want to hit this number of revenue. Um, we want to have it 
have these key results that we're looking to track. You know, for us, it's standard stuff, signups, conversion rate, churn, standard fare. But you get very specific only at the year. I think the most important part is the longer term framing to kind of let you dial it down. And to clarify for folks, you're fully bootstrapped. Is that right? We are. Yeah. We've okay. never raised money. Never raised, I don't know yeah. if that was the right move, but here we yeah. are, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We have a couple questions coming in from the audience. I think I forgot to mention that at the top. So these are, these are folks who've been microconf on air, uh, watchers before because they are on it. And if you have any questions for Jesse, please do yeah, pipe cool. them into a microconf on air, uh, channel in Slack or on YouTube. Pablo from YouTube says, what would you say to someone that is not enjoying the role of CEO anymore? but has trouble letting go of it. Yeah. What, uh, trouble, two, two different ways of looking at trouble. One is like tactically, I don't have someone I can hand this to. That would, that would cause trouble. The other one is I would have less, uh, well, I, I would be kind of like, well, you don't like it. You're not enjoying it. So what's the trouble, right? Um, the, this, this applies for anyone in any position. You should always, and I learned this from our current CEO, you should always be hiring your replacement. You should always be be uh, molding, teaching, fostering, mentoring your replacement. Uh, it's part of the job responsibility as any of my executives. They they better be dialed in on who their replacement will be. And it's not you don't. It's a little counterintuitive because you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't want to be replaced. You won't be replaced. But it's part of the job description is to not leave us in a lurch, right? To to pave the way nicely. And so you always want to be thinking about hiring your replacement. And in that instance where you're having trouble letting go because it's just your baby and you, you got to really be clear, like what, what is this replacement person bringing to the table at where at Todd, our CEO is better at being a CEO in so many different ways than I am. I have a few, I have some strengths that he doesn't have, but he's he, for this next phase. I just felt like, yeah, he's it, but it was still hard in the moment to let go emotionally, like legit therapy type hard. Um, so one part is make sure you're, you're, you found and you're teaching and, and mentoring the right person. And the other part is being really clear, like, okay, now that I've done this, um, what's my next move. And I had to know what my next spot was before I could just leave some vacuum in my life. Yeah. The emotional side, I think is, oh. it, it's gotta be brutal and getting Surprising. outside help therapy yeah. or, you know, some, something I think is gotta be. Yeah, like legit, like legit shaky the moment I was actually like announcing to the team and I knew it would be semi-permanent. That's the one thing I said, man, six months, except if you're changing the CEO. We yeah. want to make sure that that org structure is longer than that. Yep. So I, I was legit shaking there. Like I was nervous about, I knew, I knew, I felt good about the decision. I liked where I was at with it. Um, I obviously chatted with Julie, my spouse, about it at length for the last year. Um, but yeah, in the moment, still fully emotional. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Peter on YouTube asks, I've seen many times that companies struggle to allocate resources for security teams. It's, oh, also, gosh, a, yeah. it's also a common practice to silo them as a separate security team. How do you solve security resource allocation? Well, we need to have someone that's fully dedicated to security. Right now, it falls on our, our head of technology CTO mm -hmm. role, that's a bummer. and that's poor. You know, literally for two years, we've been like, we've got to have someone that just obsesses over security. So I actually don't have a better answer for that right now. We are, I think we're behind the eight ball, eight ball on it. We, we've given it to someone who has a whole bunch of other responsibilities. And so security needs to be paramount for that person. And it's, it's currently not, it's odd because it's the most important thing. If you mess up, 
then you're, I mean, done for. It's a big deal. Um, but it doesn't get the resources it needs out of the gate. So we're actually fixing that in the next couple of months. We're we're going to be hiring for that specific position. And then I'll let you know in a year how we make sure that security isn't just siloed. That's, what will that be? A cadence of communication? Um, I don't know, people that carry certain responsibilities that are across those pace teams, maybe functionally what it looks like. Haven't haven't solved that one yet. Yeah. And then Peter uh, asks another question and then we'll get back because I want to get back to culture and values and remote, remote team stuff. But he asks from YouTube, what would you say is the most important skill for remotely, remotely leading a team of engineers? Effective communication. Yeah. Writing when, specifically. Writing. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of it is in it's chat or email yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I would agree with you there. So let's let's change it up a little bit and talk about... You know, you, you sent over some notes and you had this, this, I'll, I'll paraphrase you, but you said why the soft stuff like yeah. core values and culture is what truly matters. Right. And as look, as entrepreneurs, I mean, I left my job thinking, I don't want to get near any of this bullshit mission, vision, yes. values, right? I want to start a company. We're just going to do our stuff. And then you hit 10 employees or 15 employees. Mm -hmm. And to your point earlier, if you don't create a culture, it will create itself and, you know, create it on its own and you may not be in control of it. So, but, but yeah. talk through, you know, why it's so important. Yeah. I alluded to that from that conference talk, you know, years and years ago, where I was like, ah, oh, come on, let's, let's sell software, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, what I've noticed, and this is still a, kind of a working theory for me, but um, a, a little brag for a moment. So YNAB, we submitted our company to a battery of, of surveying and things as part of the great place to work company that then publishes their results in Fortune. And uh, YNAB was, was listed in 2020 and 2021 as the number one small workplace. At that wow. time, we were sub 100 employees, just under. I mean, the number one workplace, we're all remote. And, and it was curious because the great place to work gave us our data. I think we actually had to pay them for it, which was ironic, but they gave us the data. It's all anonymous. So your team is allowed to say what they want to say. And there were interesting things like how we scored. We, we were a hundred percent across the board. And there were, there were a few bits where it would be like a hundred percent of employees believe that management trusts them to do their work without looking over their shoulder hmm. and all remotely. Where when things were first shifting, I mean, Rob, you, this would blow your mind because you've been in the world forever. But I had friends that were running companies all co-located and they're like, how do you make sure your team's actually working? How do you, you know, do you install key logging software? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> like, who, who, who have you hired where you, uh, it's just, are you running yeah. a chain gang? Like, I don't right. get how this is going, you know, but that was where their mind was going. And so trust is trust, remote or co-located. You know, how do I know that uh, my team's working when they're all in an office building on several floors? You, yeah. you know, how do you know they're working when you close the door or when you put on your Bose noise canceling headphones to go dark? You know, right. so we it's it ends up being all about the the team and making sure that the team is a fit remote or co-located. And what we did is we got really clear on what our core values were and their character traits. They're not. They're not demographics in the slightest. They're, you can have a wildly diverse team across all kinds of spectrums, but they can share these, these core values that are YNAMs. And they might not be specific just to YNAM, but they're unique enough that like, if we were playing Boggle, that old game where we have to find words, and if you find it, you don't get the point, and I don't get the point, they have to be unique enough where you can start to attract people that are your core values. So when we're hiring, when we'll hire that security expert, we're going to find a security expert that has a bit of YNAB in him or her already. 
and then we get them versus looking for technical fit first. And then, oh, I hope they're a nice person to work with. Well, what do you mean when they're, when you say they're a nice person to work with? Define that for me because you, Rob, have a style, you have core values, I'm sure of it, that make it where you're like, I like working with that person, man, that, like that person's smart, they get it, but God, we just don't seem to, you're talking about a core value mismatch and they could go somewhere else and kill it in some other organization. Like, Apple's core value, one of them has to be genius, right? They just have, like, they have a genius bar. They aren't even customers. Like, so you know they're fully genius. At, at YNAB, we wouldn't, that wouldn't work well for us. Like, I don't give a genius the last word. I don't give genius the floor. I, it's just not the way we do it. But can you build a massively successful company on genius as a core value? Most, most definitely. So defining those is so critically important and then finding people that have them already. Then if you're remote or co-located, doesn't even matter. You have people that are that are resonating with each other. And then working is easier. Um, like adjusting how you work, being more open-minded to, hey, we're iterating here, people. It's all okay because everyone's like, oh yeah, well, this is this is how I work. It's just who they are. And so you can throw them into any kind of structure, you can throw any new problems at them, and they're so just like, yeah, this feels good. This feels fine. Because at their core, they're a match with the company. And I think that's why. That's why we're a great place to work is the resonance of people here. The fit. Everyone's a yes. fit in with what you've described. And I mean, would you be willing to share a couple of your core values? So just to give an idea yeah. of um, what the uniqueness is. So our first is genuine. That's like our headlining. Like you got to be comfortable in your own skin. And I, the idea of someone kind of putting on a facade or, or you having like podcast Rob versus real Rob, I'm like, no, no, I, I know when I talk to Rob, I'm going to get real Rob every time, you know? Um, my favorite core value, though, we call it humbly confident. Hmm. And there's a tension there that I really like. Um, there's we we deal with it on the team where we say, well, yeah, you're hey, um, brag a little like this. You're always deflecting praise. Like sometimes you need to be like, yeah, I own that. I nailed mm -hmm. that. Right. And then other times you have to be like, oh, the team got this. That wasn't much of me at all. It's this tension there. But when you're attracting an engineer or a designer or a support person and you lead with instead of on Indeed or wherever your job boards are where people are scrolling, people need to think through, they're, they're more like click-through rates that you're optimizing for, not a job posting. We wanna stand out. And so when you lead with, instead of customer support rep, you say, confidently humble customer support rep. Suddenly hmm. you have that person that's like, oh, and you get the click. And that then in your job copy, you're, you're emanating these core values. It's not some HR, written thing it's like all marketing you're pitching right right and you get that out there and then it's resonating well where we have people that will send friends the job posting and they're like i mean rob you got it i know you're not looking for a job and sorry for overstepping but like this was just screaming you you've mm -hmm. got to check this out i can't tell you how many people we've hired that were just like oh i wasn't looking for a job but my you know friend of mine said that i should check it out and here i am i can't believe i'm applying that's the kind of people you want. So yeah. you start from the very outset in that uh, candidate attraction process and you just scream the core values. And then you eliminate people that are like, God, these people are way too folksy, you know? Right. Or I can't believe they're making jokes in their job description. Well, we don't want you there. We like you, but you won't, you won't like it here. You just won't feel like you fit. Uh, and you attract people that are like, oh, that joke was pretty funny. I like this place. You know? Right. That's great. Yeah. It, it's such an upfront screening process, right? Of, oh, as yeah. you said, not just for technical, but for fit. So I, you know, I know that you, um, uh, the YNAB is like a very 
I guess work-life balance term may be overused, but I know, I I actually know an engineer who, who went off and started his own thing. He used to work at YNAB and he just talked a lot about how, um, YNAB values the whole person, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that basically work, you, you believe that work is one aspect of a person's life, but it's not their whole life. You want to talk us through like what that looks like in practice? Yeah. Well, one is like, I don't believe it. Like it just is true. It's like, mm-hmm. come on people. Like we have, let's like, let's acknowledge it. I, I worked for a place for 10 months in early, early in my career as an accounting, you know, uh, person. And I saw what it was like where they just treat you like a cog and you recognize like, ah, oh, that doesn't feel good. And I think a little bit of that PTSD, uh, is still in me where I was just hyper aware of like, whoa, whoa, we got to make this a good place for life. Um, YNAB is is not your whole life and we frame it that way this is not your whole life obviously so we want we want to make it a great place to work precisely because it affects the rest of your life in ways that I think need to be openly acknowledged stressful work makes for a stressful home life period and and I want work to be a joy so that when you go home you're a little more of a joy with your kids and with your partner um it doesn't mean that it's always rosy at all. Sometimes it's absolutely stressful. But on the whole, I want it to be a place where it's an add to your life, where it feels like, yeah, this is, this just feels right. I don't like work-life balance because that pretends that there's some stasis we can find, and there isn't. It's up and down and up and down. Practically, um, I think the remoteness helps on that side of things. Um, just recognizing people have... They just, yeah, they, life is part of this whole thing. Um, I didn't want to say this because we're in experiment mode. And so I'm a little leery, but we, we are, we just like literally, uh, this Friday is the first day that YNAB, the team will not be working because we're, we're testing a four day work week. That is partially an acknowledgement of, we think we could maybe be just as effective. If you read all the reading on that stuff. Um, it's partially me saying, I think this, this is the next, this might be a competitive spot where we need to be maybe in seven years, you have to do this. And that's that we'd like to get ahead of that. Um, but it's just the idea of like, you, you bring a person to work and they like their job and their home life is working as well. They're going to be more productive. They're going to stay longer. Would, you know, it's profitable to do it this way. Like it's so profitable to treat your team well and have them stay and rave and recruit for you than it is to think of them as somehow like turn and burn expendable. It's just, it's not charitable either. I hate when people are like, Oh, Jesse, that's so nice. That's not nice. That's cold blooded calculated capitalism. You know, like I am in this for the profits like that. Of course I am. But I think it's it's profitable to do it this way. It's long-term. I think not having investors, to give a nod that way, I think that helps. You can think long-term about your employees. So yeah, it's but it's not about, I don't know, it's not anything above just like, I think this is a good business move, you know? Um, yeah. People will say like, oh, it's a, you know, it's good, it's good of you, moral. I hate, I don't like, I don't like that one. I don't like moral as much on that, as far as the label goes. I just, I want it to be smart from a business standpoint. And I, and I firmly believe that it is. And so far it's, it's proven out that way. Yeah, and I, I think folks who have not built a company into the 20, 30, 200, uh, employee level don't realize that y- in the end, your biggest challenge is finding great and retaining great people. Like that's is. it, you know, and if you can do that, 
everything you everything else is solved because those everything great people else. will solve the problems right yeah. and especially as a ceo of 100 150 person company you can no longer solve all the problems even no. though you, you used to right but you can't come in and say what are we going to market how are we going to do it what's our strategy what's our implementation you just there's too much going on and so you have to have people that are so good and those people can work anywhere they want if they're that good. And so how do you solve for that? And that's what you're saying is that yeah. this, you know, whether it's a four day work week or whether it's the, the balance that you give people or, you know, just valuing them outside of, yeah. of work. Uh, just make it a great place to work without the, that official adage, right? Just make it a right. great place to work. Yep. And, and, uh, and it doesn't mean like the four day work week that that could be a totally, just like a surface tactic, right? It, mm -hmm. um, or, or any number of things. Like I used to not pay health benefits for the team because I was like, no, you just, listen, I'm, you just solve your stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But competitively, we, we realized like, oh man, we, we have to do this, right? So we did it. Um, and so you're competing in a market and in this market, competing for top talent is fierce. So you really, you have to stand out with your core values and find people that have your business already inside them. And then you just make it a profitable, great place to work for that person. And on the whole profitable, right? For the whole person profitable. What does that look like for them? They get out more than they give. And then you get out more than they give. It's this beautiful, beautiful thing. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I never grow tired of trying to solve that top level problem. And then I love what you said. You push down the problem solving. You make experts down, down in the organization that are doing things that absolutely amaze you that you never would have come up with. We have a question from Xander on YouTube. He says, is the four-day work week 32 hours, four eights, or is it four tens? We just locked off Friday. So yeah, it's 30, 32 hours. Wow. But we don't talk about hours. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes yeah. it's 30. Sometimes Like we've hired people where they're like, hey, I, I had to leave a half hour early, so I'm going to make it up. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to change. Yeah. It takes, <laughs> That's it takes not a while to unwind to... that, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we're a, you, you got to be outcome obsessed. And whether it's four-day work week, working remote where you can't see people and you think you know what they're doing, um, you got to just be obsessed with outcomes, not output. So if I were to watch an engineer, um, Chris, who I love, he's an engineer, he has a six-foot wide aquarium in his office where he works in Tennessee. And if I were to just spy on him in some really creepy way and I could see him staring at his aquarium for 45 minutes, I might be mad like, Chris is stealing. Where? Come on, Chris, why aren't I seeing you slinging code? But in that moment, he comes up with some algorithm that shaves 200 grand off our database costs for the year. Outcome, That's it. right? Yeah. That's it. And so you got to ignore the little devil on your shoulder that will be like, Jesse, are they working? You got to ignore that. And you got to look at what they're producing. Just be obsessed over those outcomes. How they do it, you can't get in the middle of that. You don't want to. You'll mess things up. So yeah, absolutely. But 3240, all that stuff, we lopped off Fridays, except for our support team. They had to do it a little different because, right. you know, and then we have to obviously hire up on our support side to, to cover the percentage we just lopped off. But uh, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I was told even like, we're not being public about this. So mm -hmm. I, I hesitate to even say it because I don't want, I don't want publicity around this. We're just right. experimenting with it. We're going to see how it works for our team. Right, right. Well, we're approaching time, but we do have one more question. This yeah, is from it. Tuamas on YouTube. And he says, the one pager you mentioned earlier sounds interesting. Can you elaborate on it a bit more? Yeah, so I, it's really simple. Top level mission doesn't change. Next level is strategy, long-term. Your strategy can change, but long-term, three, four years probably. And it's in two buckets, core values. And I didn't get into this, but... 
it's not, I don't, I don't say culture a lot. It's not like beanbags and foosball tables. I, I don't like that. Cult, your culture is your core values in action. It's just how, how you do everything. So how we handle a refund is our, our core values should show in that process. Um, how we interact, how I interact with uh, setting up this call, our core values should show in this process, how we pitch should show how we sell, how you do everything is your core values. So you look at all your business processes and you just say, how could we double down on humbly confident in our customer refund process, in our invoicing process? I'm saying boring processes on purpose. And you're starting to make your core values, not just letters on a wall that are kind of there, like, or on a mouse pad or whatever. They're, they're real because you're hiring people that are genuine or are helpful and friendly. And then you're saying, Hey, make this process more helpful and friendly. And then your customers notice it's more helpful and friendly. And there's residents all the way from your team inside all the way to the customer on the outside who is a tra attracted to that same core value. And it's this, it's this laser that you run through the whole thing. That's why it's strategy because it is literally how you conduct business. Then the other side of strategy is the system. You could call it unique selling proposition. It's how you compete, how you fit in the market, right? So how do we compete against mint or, uh, QuickBooks or any number of other entrants that come in all the time. It's, it's more standard marketing. So that's strategy long-term. The next one is what we call our targets. And that's more like the three-year look. And we're going to, we're saying, okay, we want to look at what our three-year target looks like. And then our one-year target. And finally we have a plan. So what our plan will get us to our one-year target. And it looks like, what are the outcomes we're looking for? High level company-wide outcomes. What are the key metrics and milestones we'll look to, to fill those out. And that's, that's standard OKR stuff that uh, you can find everywhere. So yeah, yeah, that's, that is it on one page. I love that you have the whole thing memorized. It's obvious yeah. that it's short enough. Well, it's because uh, I'm sure you've been knee deep in it for years and it's short enough that you can memorize the whole thing, you know, the yeah. format and all that. Did you read a particular book to find out more about that? Or is this just something? Traction uh, okay. by Gino, Gino Whitman. Was, yeah. Yeah. So yeah he, was, he was like, have this on a page and ours is pretty close to his a little, little different now. Um, but at, at first we just took the whole pill as the doctor described with traction. And then, yep take the whole pill, do it fully, go a few years and then decide, you know, a little better than the doctor. But at first, right. just, just acknowledge the doctor and, and do as prescribed. It, it teaches you a ton to just do it as prescribed. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for joining me today. I know you have a Absolutely. lot going on. Appreciate you taking the time. Are you on Twitter? Do you, is that a good place to send people? I, it is not. Um, okay. I am there. You will find me, but I don't think I've tweeted since 2016. Okay. So. Wise man. You're smart. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had the self-control. So if you market there, like Twitter, Twitter for you, there's, it's more strategic. Yeah, yeah it's fine. exactly. Yeah. So if, uh, you need a budget.com, if folks want to see what you're working on and, uh, your podcasts, you're still hosting those, right? Yeah, you absolutely. Need a budget and podcasts and people can podcasts. like, uh, email me, jesse at wineab.com. Shoot me an email. I'm happy awesome. to answer. Mondays and Thursdays is when you'll get an answer. So that's great. All right. Thanks so much for joining me, man. Thanks Rob. It's been Take a pleasure. It easy. Thank you for joining me. It would be amazing if you could give this podcast a five-star review in Spotify or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, wherever greater podcasts are sold and wherever you're consuming this. That just helps new listeners find us and it helps keep us motivated to producing the show. If you get value out of it, if you could just take 30 seconds of your time, that would be amazing. And with that, I will be back in your ears again next week.